Hey everyone, my name is Dave Nixon and welcome to the Alpha Theta Flow podcast. This is Flow 775 uh, and I have, once again, the delightful, the handsome, the stout. <laughs> Keep it coming. <laughs> That's more. I need, I need this external validation. Yeah, I haven't had it yeah. for 30 years. This is, this is everything. To me. The Pinocchio of men. Oh, well, it's, it's, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Carl Weber. On the podcast. Thanks for having me again, Dave. I appreciate it. You really got to stop yelling, dude. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm right here. Yeah. We're, so, we're worrying about the the way that the waves are checking so out. So the way that the that technology stuff. works is that this microphone picks up the voice and then it records it. So then there's no one. It's like it's not like the cup and the string. Mm. So. Right. We've <laughs> been doing it wrong this whole time. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah okay. You keep on bringing your beans can, but yeah, we don't need it. Yeah. So what are we talking about today, mate? We are going to be talking about the evolution of identity. Uh, specifically within the fitness industry and how I know myself, I've changed as a coach very much so over the years mm-hmm. and how my identity has been, I guess, very malleable, but having to come to terms with how that's changing and how uh, my own perceptions of myself change to uh, reflect my coaching and how my coaching changed to, uh, to, to reflect my perceptions as well. Yep. Um, last episode, we we touched on this and you talked about whether we talk about it or not and obviously you said oh let's dive more into it um, on the next episode which mm-hmm. is today uh, one of the things I mentioned there was in order for us to like grow develop evolve unfold whatever terminology we want to use it kind of means the same thing sprout sprout <laughs> yes uh, something has to die off first and that's something that I, I want to talk a bit more to today give a bit more depth and you talk about you know, identity within the fitness industry at the end of the day and Simon Sinek who has the TED talk How Great Leaders Inspire Action and the book Start With Why Leaders Eat Last um, talks about that 100% of your customers are people 100% of your employees unless it's a dog or something like that are people 100% of your distributors are people and it's like at the end of the day and this is what I harp on a lot about is that you're in the people industry mm. What you're delivering, so you know, I'm in. I'm not in the health industry teaching people. I'm in the people industry teaching health, right? We're in the people industry serving coffee. We're in the people industry administering first aid. Like whatever it might be, if we can look at it as in we're in the people industry, then we can start to see that there's patterns across cultures and across across professions that are pretty consistent and common. And a part of that is the you know an evolution of identity. And I have experience and what I coach to. On that, one of the things I guess I would like to start with would be understanding the difference between a trainer and a coach. Um, This was one of the things that was really made apparent to me through my study at the coaching room um, is that there's different fields. So there's five main fields in that sort of same space. Uh, You've got training, you've got uh, mentoring, you've got consulting you've got therapy or counsel and then you have coaching and they're actually different fields and so commonly in the fitness industry a trainer will position themselves as a coach without any and this isn't a criticism it's simply just going well you know it's not the same thing um coaching is its own industry and so when it comes into coaching um the core difference between training and coaching as an industry is training is to teach a skill more often than not whereas coaching is to you know facilitate change 
based on holding like based through conversation holding the subject as the expert in their subject and so the difficulty is that a lot of the time when people go into the fitness industry they either a label themselves a coach um, when what they're doing is training mm. now that isn't that's not a bad thing when I'm on the gym floor I'm training I'm not really like this I'm, you could say I'm trainer slash coach if you wanted to think of it like that or coach slash trainer but at the end of the day I'm, I'm mostly teaching skill and teaching breath work and that it can lean into the skills of coaching but what I do from a coaching perspective in developmental coaching or you know mental performance coaching is different to then training and so it's helping the person understand themselves better and that's not training that's now coaching and so it's this interesting idea and, and how often people can tie that to their identity um, I'm a coach it's like no I, I am not a coach um, I'm Dave or Dev depending how well you know me um, coaching is one of the things that I do and so it's this interesting concept when we look at identity and uh, how much it might shape um, how we view ourselves when we look in the mirror or talk with other people. Mm. No, absolutely. I um, I know for me, when I was coaching in a very specific space um, relating to like bodybuilding, fitness competitions and stuff like that, I started to develop the identity of I was this person and I wasn't Kyle anymore. I always knew that there was so much more to me but because it wasn't something that was directly reflective in the stuff that I was teaching or the stuff that I was coaching, I never really got to express that. And so I leaned very heavily into the side of me that I thought was sellable, the side of me that I knew I had a lot of knowledge and background in, and the side of me that people were coming to me for. Um, now, over time, that developed and grew a lot more, but my interest in the sport and the the, the things that I, would tr I was trying to help people with was, was slowly dwindling away. And as that shut off, I found myself in this position where I was stuck, where I didn't have a love for what I was doing anymore, but I'd hold myself to this identity, which was I am Kyle, the bodybuilding coach or mm -hmm. the physique coach. And so that's what I do. And as soon as I started to pull away from that, my interest wasn't there anymore. I had this really confronting issue within myself where I'm going, I, I want to stop this. I want to get out of it, but I don't know how because it's been it's been me for a decade. Yeah, and there were all these thoughts that I had, very intrusive thoughts of what other people would be thinking of me and how yeah. they would perceive me, um, purely based off of the identity for myself that I'd created for a long time. Mm -hmm. And I felt the longer that I stayed in it, the more that I felt stuck to it. And I had this period, probably for two three years, where I was in limbo. And I couldn't, I couldn't take the plunge to try something different. I, I moved around a lot and tried to see, you know, how I could change the the style of coaching that I was doing or um, the types of people that I was helping out. But it all kept being centered around the same thing. Still, I, I just couldn't nail it. Mm. Um, and it was a very difficult time, um, just internally for me, because I felt like I, I was stuck to this thing that I no longer loved. Mm -hmm. And it was like, you know, being in a, being in a relationship that you know is not serving you, but you can't let it go for whatever reason. And so that was, I was stuck in there for a while. Um, and I pity anyone's been in a relationship with me because it's probably what it feels like. Uh, so it's, you know, it's, uh, it's yeah. very, it's very difficult. So, um, what helped me a lot coming out of that? And I know, I guess in hindsight, when I can look at it, I can see a lot of people that will be transitioning into those parts of themselves, um, as they grow and progress through their coaching or training careers, if they're focusing on a very like niche area. Um, 
for me, I could break it down into a 10-year cycle of the first three years I was learning, I was growing, I was really enjoying everything that I was doing. And then probably for the next four to five years after that, I felt like I was really owning that space. I was in the position that I wanted to be in. I was forming this, this identity and this version of myself that I was really proud of and really happy with that it did this and only this. And it was this laser hyper focus that this is me. And then the next couple of years after that was when I was just getting out of it. And it was like this, so this dark cloud that was just around me all the time that I had to try to you know, sift myself through, but I just overstayed it for a very long time. And um, coming out of that, I think it was very valuable for me to experience it and go through it because I, I know that I wouldn't be the only one that experiences this when they're getting into a coaching journey. Um, like you said, the difference between tra training and coaching. Um, I started off training, moved into coaching, but then it was kind of like not distinguishing between the two. I would always be doing one and then a little bit of the other, but it would all be around coaching in some form. Um, and because I couldn't distinguish that, I couldn't figure out where I was trying to be. Um, and so I was in this spot where it was just, I'm only helping these types of people doing this particular thing, but I don't like doing this thing anymore, though I have liked doing this thing for so long. And I felt like this kind of, it was almost like this imposter fraud sort of thing. Um, which is very tricky, yeah, very tricky to get out of. Identity is 100% um, restriction. Mm. Um, and one of the challenges, especially from a positive psychology standpoint, is the need or desire, which is actually a desire more than a need, to identify as something or with something yeah. or you know, and then hold, uh, so that's how often how we esteem ourselves. Mm. Esteem's another word for value, so how we value ourselves. So it's like, well, I'm a this, which means that if I'm not that, fuck, what am I? Yeah. I'm not valuable without it. And that's one of the challenges that a lot of people can go through. Yeah. Uh, especially then if it's hinged on, so conditional esteem is what the term is. If it's hinged on someone's opinion of what you are as that person. Mm. And so he, if I'm not the CEO, fuck, I've got no value and so forth. And so, but people, people won't, commonly cognitively be aware of that mm. but it's the actual conditions that they place on their esteem and so they keep doing it in order to get the esteem even if they stop enjoying it and so that's where the, the bind comes in so identity which is basically valuing um, certain parts of our personalities um, which is restricted once again because um, it becomes overvaluing Yeah. because then if we're overvaluing something we're undervaluing other things yeah. which means that we're not learning how to meet the moment we're showing up habitually over time as if it's the same as something in the past. Uh, we call them strengths, but those strengths then become, you know, are we doing it or is it doing us? Mm. And so flexibility is fundamental here, especially from a coaching perspective. And that's one of the things, you, you know, I could tie this conversation up saying, um, coaching is not who I am, it's something I do. Mm. And when we're out in an athlete, you know, and then we can see that sort of stuff, but, you know, this, uh, you know, being an athlete is something I do rather than who I am. And then, then we find ourselves separate to the things that we do rather than if I'm an athlete now and I get injured and I, or I don't make the cut for professional sports team, then this, this identity issue that people mm. come into. And so what it is, an identity, is the person is identifying with an idea. And the difficulty with that is that if that idea is either A, not played out in the way that they map their territory in their mind, or B, isn't seen like that in the eye of someone else, then their identity, like it, it, it runs them. Yeah. They aren't running 
and choosing how they're showing up. And yeah. that doesn't mean that we become all bland, you know, beige beings walking around with no um, personality or flavor, whatever terminology you may want to use. What it means is actually the term is an integration mm. of personality, but it the identity is like I don't identify. Even even say I'm Dave is yeah. that's just a sound that you know your face makes that means me. Um, but this is one something that's really powerful to know. And I talk about this at the retreats among many other seminars. Let's say I've got ten to fifteen people in front of me, and I have a, I have some form of a relationship. If they're in at the retreat, I've got some form of a relationship with each one of them, right? whether it's I met them that day or they've been clients of mine for years or they've known me through years not as a client, coach or anything like that and have decided to come along. And every single one of those people um, has an image in their mind uh, that they know as me. And they have a relationship with that. They don't have a relationship with me. And so um, I'm not the same person to all of them let alone the people that would never come to my fucking retreats because they fucking hate me because I'm X, Y, or Z, then, like, none of... And no one's opinion is me. And it's not about being like, fuck their opinion. It's going, the... As I unfold as a dynamic human being, same as you, same as the next person, the same as everyone that I've been like, oh, fuck, I don't trust that guy. Same. He's unfolding, she's unfolding as a dynamic human being. I have an image in my mind that I then have a relationship with rather than actually having a relationship with them. And so this is a really powerful stand because we can start to separate ourselves from this idea of I'm not who I think I am. I'm not who you think I am. I am who I think you think I am. I'm going to be that. You've said that so many times and every time I get it wrong in my head. (laughs) I think that you think that I think that I am think. Yeah. It it takes time to sort of go, hang on a sec. Yeah. Right. So I'm behaving as I think I should based on how I think you think I am and so none of those things are me and so we're always going to run into problems and issues and this is where people run a, so it's a strategy right if I behave mm. like this I get this result that's a fucking strategy that's not you right yeah and so it's not so absolute yes yeah yeah so the challenge with the the whole identity especially as a coach or an athlete or you know I identify as a mother so I'm going to keep my kids at home mm. Unknowingly, I need them to, like, I'm going to come around, I'm going to do this, it's because I'm a mother. I am, it's like, no, that's one of the things that I, that I, that I do. You know, I've got these beautiful children. This is not me, obviously. <laughs> I am not a mother. <laughs> I have not mothered a thing. I have a Chelsea and a Pete, but that's about it. <laughs> so, but uh, this is also why it's so important for children to learn to break up with their parents um, as they move into adulthood and see their parents as adults, as the faulty human beings faulty, beautiful, unfolding human beings that they are and seeing them age as they do um, rather than seeing them as these godlike figures that they were when they were kids. And I've done, I've had coaching sessions with, you know, really successful over 40 year old adults that still are underpinned by their parents' opinion. Mm. Even as they fall into mental health issues as a, or not even mental health, just health issues as they get In older. General, yeah. And that, that parent still sees them as their little kid. Mm. And so there's this parent-child dynamic um, that plays out. And so one of the challenges you go further into this is that, that that individual may be then seeking external approval from um, 
a potential, let's say, either masculine figure or love from a feminine figure, um, which is playing out as that child-parent relationship. Mm-hmm. And it's not until they break that that they actually really do mature. And so going further into it, I'll throw it over to you shortly. <laughs> like Jungian and, and Freud, and they work together, they split, right? They disagreed on some things fundamentally. Um, but what it was was this idea of killing the father. Mm-hmm. Like every guy has to kill the father. Um, not to become the man of their household, but to become the man. Um, and that's a healthy thing, and it's healthy yeah. for the dad as well. So, um, and it's obviously not a it's, a, it's a metaphorical death. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I'm, I'm glad it's metaphorical. Sometimes it's not. <laughs> Sometimes it's not. Yeah, but then Absolutely. they go to jail, and then they're definitely not daddy. Absolutely. <laughs> Someone's daddy, but yeah. that's all that matters. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a, it's, it's very interesting, and obviously that, that speaks speaks a lot to me in the way that I parent too I, I believe that there's always a point where we need to be conscious of the fact that this relationship is what it is at this time but it needs to grow and develop and that hierarchy changes as you, as, as the kids grow and it needs to hit this point at some point where the two individuals are respected as individuals like you're no longer parent and child in that dynamic yes you'll always have your parents but the the individual needs to grow as a person and mature that way. Mm. Um, and looking back on things, you know, with with parents, particularly if I look back on, on times with my parents, I, I use a lot of um, the things that I didn't learn in those relationships with, with my mum and dad to form the version that I am of myself now yeah. and how I parent. And it's not to say that they were bad at all. I love my parents, but it was a case of, well, these are things that I didn't have. I didn't realise I didn't have them at the time when I was a kid. I, don't, I think most of us won't realise that sometimes. Um, so that when I was able to be a parent myself, it allows me to look back and go, cool, this is how I formed this of me. And this is how I'm able to feel like I am now taking over as myself, as the father, as the man, as the daddy, you know, being able to be this person. And that's come from me having to mature through that. And I think a lot of people need to um, view that and respect that growth and dynamic change as well to see that it's a natural part of their progression without it being too limiting on um, on the other views. Yeah, I mean, like it, some, some people won't ever. Like, yeah. I'm still learning to break up certain parts of my relationship with my parents, right? The There's even certain things that I'm still... Like, it's a, it's a continual unfolding. There's no finish mm. line. And so I remember the first time I looked at my dad being like, mate, you're wrong. Mm. Like you're, you're, you're just painting a positive lens on it for the sake of it sounding nice. And it's not true. It's mm. not my truth at all. That was not my experience. And this is a meaning I made of it because I'm my own meaning maker, yeah. not you. And it wasn't like he was trying to force that on me, but it was just as an adult, I stood there and I was late twenties and I looked at him and I'm like, no, that's not true at all for me. Yeah. So I know you say that and it kind of sounds nice, mm. but at the end of the day, we had a, you know, somewhat of a broken family, and if you can't see that, mate, then you're probably a, a kind of contributing to it. Yeah. And so having that, and it was like he was a sixty year old man, and he's like, "Oh fuck! Like, what do I do with that?" And yeah. You know, that's his own meaning and everything that goes with it. But even to this day, like, so I hadn't spoken to my mum for about two years leading up to my wedding. Mm. Wedding was in May this year, and I called her a week beforehand because I was putting it off, putting it off. She wasn't invited, but it's just like there's certain components. Um, to our relationship that just like it's really challenging and it didn't have to be Mm. and what that meant was that I don't have to I will never receive an apology for her if I feel like I needed it but was me learning that I don't need her to apologize in order to forgive her Mm. Uh, and more importantly to forgive myself for holding on to certain things Mm. 
anyway, I called her and we spoke and it was fine. Um, I was going to send her the video link of the day. Um, and I, uh, I never got around. I mean, I was getting ready for my wedding, so it wasn't actually my job to organize the video link, but I never, never did. Mm. Um, but I never received anything from her on the day, like a message. I haven't spoken to her since. And it's the kind of thing here is like, well, I've got to be able to, as a grown man, sit here and be like, how is that affecting me? Mm. In what way is that going to make me make meaning? And, you know, let that maybe change my way of how I co- you know, coach my kids. Fuck. Um, hopefully not. <laughs> but parent my children in the yeah. future. Or do I just, just let it wash over me mm. um, as just a part of life that can occur and, and move forward with what rather than, because if I'm, Here's the thing. If I'm going, I'm going to parent like my parents because they did really well, or I'm not going to parent like my parents because they fucked up, mm. I'm actually basing that decision both of the same thing. Yeah. Where I can be like, how do I want to parent my yeah. children? Now, how is this important to the fitness and health industry? Well, a healthy generation coming through is, is extremely important when we look at intergenerational change. But it's the same as coach-client. Mm. When we look at a coach-client relationship, are you keeping your clients codependent? Mm. Right, I want my clients to break up with me to some yeah. degree. Now, when I say to some degree, is in like I don't need to um, uh, have a full blown teenage breakup. Mm. It's more so going. I'm playing a role here, facilitating, uh, helping to facilitate you make the changes that you want to make in your life. And I did a video on it this week around not being responsible for clients. Yeah, that results. was really that was really good. Yeah, that was that was excellent. And it's the thing that's just like if you make yourself responsible for your clients results you disempower them mm. right and if you're like no I'm gonna I'm gonna you know bend over backwards so that my clients get results it's like mate they're not yeah and so guess what happens they get their result but they never progress yeah yeah I uh I that one that one really uh, struck a chord with me because for a very long time I would I would tie my own personal sense of achievement to the results my clients would get yeah. and it was great because they would achieve something and they'd show me praise they'd show me appreciation and I'd go wow it's awesome but it wasn't really because all that happened was when someone didn't achieve something I took that and, and I took that on as a personal kind of like damaging moment of going I haven't fulfilled what I needed to irrespective of how that played out who did what or whatever it doesn't matter it's more the fact that like I was holding myself way too strongly to their ability to progress the way that I had set out for them not, mm. not that they had set out for themselves but for what like I had chosen in my head and my idea was that they were going to do this by this time or whatever um, and I've since formed the opinion that uh, over time I wanted my clients to get to a point where they didn't need me anymore. And I used to say that to people as soon as I met them. Mm -hmm. They'll go, look, we'd sit down, we'd go through their goals, and I'd say, look, my goal for you, um, if I'm allowed to have one goal for you in this relationship, it's that I, I want to be able to make sure that throughout our time together, you feel confident to be able to leave me at some point knowing that it's been a positive situation and a positive impact for you. So you've got the tools to be able to utilize everything that we can learn together, but you can do it yourself without needing me anymore. Um, and being able to have that conversation for me was a point of feeling like I, I can have people come in, I can have them come out, and it can be in this constant state of I'm contributing, they're contributing, but my worth doesn't rely on their, their progressions. Mm -hmm. the, um, the difficulty for a lot of people within the health and fitness space is that um, their their success is based upon getting their clients results mm. um, and so yeah if you are 
basing your happiness, your esteem, your value as a coach in getting your client results, usually that tells me that you've got a fuck shit ton of disempowered clients because you remove you from the equation and they Mm. revert back to whatever default is for them. Mm. It's the same when someone says, I've been really good with my diet this week. It's like, oh, well, you know, when are you going back to normal? Mm. So like, good means... What's good? Well, good means it's extra than normal, right? Mm. It's it's something that's not the homeostasis of my existence. Mm. Um, You know, I... When I eat the meals that I meal prep I'm not saying this is me being good I'm eating I'm, I'm this is yeah. me doing what I do yeah and so um, at this point in time in my life mm. based on my life conditions and circumstances etc um, things change I move house we get dog or we have children get married get a different business start a new business COVID happens all these life Petrol conditions petrol grows to $500 a litre yeah. yeah so and eating um, rocks yeah <laughs> that's what Pete does <laughs> <laughs> times I had to get fucking rocks out of your mouth so um, the whole point there is like there's so many shifts in life conditions and if I'm going to be like oh I'm, I you know this is a client's shift that they did because of me I'm the fucking conduit or mm. I'm the wedge or whatever if you're going to do that then you have to also take the blame for when they don't get results yeah. and the dip that, that's, a, that's a really really unhealthy relationship if I'm basing my happiness or my sadness on my partner's happiness and sadness, mm. I'm not actually there for them. It seems like I am, but I'm not because I'm basing my actual existence um, not off the core of me. I'm being completely under-responsible and basing on how they interpret mm. reality. And one of the things I learned, so I wrote about this in my book with one of my clients um, and another book called uh, The Body Keeps a Score talks about it in a slightly various um, slightly similar but, but different way and I might have had this conversation with you. I've talked about this before is that the one about how every like the trauma that's stored inside us like physiologically and stuff so yes I have bits and pieces of uh, I'm remembering bits and pieces of a conversation with you about this yeah so it is interesting and in, in it's it can be a bit like woo woo when it's like oh we I, I, I store trauma here yeah. it's such a it's like it's like yeah. saying I you know, I that put, kid that beat me in the race, I can feel him in my left palm. Yeah, it yeah. can be a little bit like that, but there is certain things that are true in that as well. But it's more like going, I I breathe oxygen into my left bicep. Yeah, and so it's kind of like, well, sort of, um, it will go there, um, and we do. Uh, so another term is actually by a guy called Wilhelm Reich, and it's called um, physical armoring. And so you'll see a lot of people that are relatively quite anxious in. Um, in most of their thoughts and behaviors, they commonly have significantly tighter traps. Um, and usually the top abdominals are really quite tight as well. And they, that's usually like this physical armoring of being safe. Mm. If, I'm, if I have armor there and armor here, then my majority of my organs and my neck and all that kind of stuff. Mm. So it's actually this physical armoring that can occur as well. I always told people I had big traps because I lifted wrong for about 10 years. Yeah. So I had absolutely terrible form, but now I realize I was just burned. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. <laughs> What I'm finding really interesting because I use certain mind models and physical models to look at coaching and training and, and everything is seeing, let's talk about you know the Enneagram. Um, you have a, a type six, which is a head type predominantly, and people you know lean into that are mostly anxious in nature. So they are head type, so they're less likely to spend their awareness and existence in their body or in their uh, heart, their feelings, um, and they'll think through things and um, they're also future orientated and worst case scenario orientated and so commonly these individuals I've seen time and time again have really fucking tight traps 
Um, and the other thing, that, so they can be developed as well, but it's developed from a place of fear rather than a place of like I'm consciously developing my, my trapezius muscle. Whereas you look at type eights, which is the challenger, they're ones that are usually most assertive, aggressive, um, then they commonly also have really big traps. But it's from a point of view of being seen as being um, uh, strong, yeah, powerful. Lisa from Encanto. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? No. Pressure like a drip, drip, drip that'll never stop. I hope oh. someone listened to this. Yeah. <laughs> so, someone with children will understand this. Oh, right. I guarantee yeah. it. That I cried for an hour and a half watching that movie. Yeah, okay. Yeah, don't watch it. It's All right. Of, it's one of those new Pixar things. It's like worse than therapy. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Worst. <laughs> one of those things that's worse than therapy. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, it's, it's seen that there is this sort of physical armoring, but the book The Body Keeps a Score there's a story in there which is one of um, um, uh, what's his name Bessel van der Kolk Kolk <laughs> um, and so he's a psychiatrist one of his colleagues ran a program it was a weight loss program it was probably like late 90s or something like that early 90s um, maybe not maybe noughties um, which is a great way to say 2000s mm. um, and the weight loss was a shape program and it was for a year and so one of the colleagues was well overweight so he's one of his admin team um, she was well overweight and she lost basically a pound a week for a year so um, or, or it might have actually ended up being a kilo a week for a year but anyway she because that would only be 50 pounds would be what 20 kilos I think she lost closer to 50 kilos over the year and then uh, it was a calendar year and then the next April or so the psychiatrist that did the um, study saw her again and she put on all this weight and he's like, being a psychiatrist, he's like, can I interview? <laughs> no, 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 what happened? Are you okay? How interesting, just yeah. like, oh, wow, study this, right? Yeah. And so um, in doing so, uh, he found out that she was um, propositioned by one of her male, um, male colleagues, being like, hey, you know, you look great. Maybe we should catch up sometime and so forth. I wasn't there, obviously. And uh, that... Uh, cause her to um, have some PTSD these are my words I'm paraphrasing on the sexual harassment she had as a child mm. and so th- she put the weight back on so that she didn't have to go through that again and this is the thing is that we we sometimes miss systemically what's going on for people because we're so busy looking just at objective information yeah. rather than subjective interpretation or subjects in communication and so her weight was actually a solution yeah, to a, wow. a deeper problem right and so even if the person wants to lose weight if they become attractive possibly attractive to men and then mm. that brings up the idea that I might get sexually abused or abused the yeah, wow. then the weight's actually a solution to a different problem and so I had that with one of my clients when working with them you know they were going through um, had a relationship with domestic violence and so the simple thing for them is that if they had um, if they were overweight if they were unattractive to men, then they couldn't They're get safe. hurt. Yeah. Yes. And so until people are you know, wanting to, willing and ready, and I'm at no point to say they should or they need to mm. work through that, then it's it, nothing changes. Yeah. And ne- neither should it. So it's this thing of going, you're not fucking responsible for your client's yeah. results. It's their life unfolding. 
not yours. And so more often than not, when these people are getting results and hitting PBs in the gym, what the fuck is a PB in the gym? No one, like it doesn't mean anything. People go, oh my God, I've gotten stronger. You got stronger at doing something in the gym. Yeah. How does that relate to you actually bettering your life outside of it? Mm. And if it does, great. Or if it's just you're hoping, it's like saying, mm. I'll be happy when I lose weight. Yeah. And you get there and you're like, I'm happy. What next? Yeah, now what? Yeah, yeah. Where, I thought my dad was going to come back. I need to lose more to be more happy. Yeah, that's right. So it, it it's a really challenging but honest conversation around the the identity of it all and, and our ability to learn to shift that and let it die off over time. It's painful. Anything yeah. of us that we have dying off is painful. Um, I remember reading um, King Warrior Magician Lover. Uh, actually... You should read that. Uh, it's my most recommended book. It's a four yeah, archetypes well. of the mature masculine. Um, and that was probably the most profound book I've read and the most um, I would call it positive feedback I've received from people that I've yeah, recommended books okay. to. So, um, and reading that was just like, I was reading it and just parts of me are like, fuck, just falling off me. Yeah, well. Um, it was one of the most profound things I've yeah, read. That's cool. Mm. Yeah. Did you read? No. No. Okay. I um, I, I'll listen to things. I think it's on YouTube. Oh really? You keep talking. If it's on I'll YouTube, that's it. awesome. Yeah. I'm I'm very much a, I'm very much a buy the books, and then look at the books, but then, if I'm to sit there and read, actually no, when I read will be when I'm on a plane. What's that? King Warrior Magician Lover. Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. If maybe you could explain this to me. I can only, well, I guess that's my, my perception. I find that I only read when I'm on a plane or when I'm in the airport. An airport to me is a very spiritual place, so to speak. Like, I, just, I don't know what it is, but it's, the moment I'm there, I'm the person that will rock up six hours early to catch a flight to Sydney because I feel like when I'm there, the world doesn't exist. Like, it's just, it's just paused. I'm sitting there waiting before I've got to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. So no one can really contact me. Or, like, they can, but, like, it's acceptable for me to be like, I'm at airports where I'm flying. Yep. you know and that's when I read and that's when I get stuff done so I don't know I've always I've always found it weird um, I've always preferred being at an airport so I can just do stuff there it's where I can be most productive it's mm-hmm. really strange I've even had times before where like if I can't concentrate at home especially like before COVID and stuff happened I've always worked from home so when I was working at home if, if I'm struggling to concentrate I would legitimately go to an airport just to be there in that environment and get stuff done sitting there using their Wi-Fi that's really strange mm-hmm. really that is what do I think that is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I would have to ask you questions on them. You know, yeah. like my guess is that you've created a third space and you've given meaning to that third space. Mm. Even you started off by saying it's a spiritual place. Yeah. So if it, if it has that type of meaning to you, then it makes sense. Yeah. The, you know, the question is, how did you do that and on what was it on behalf of? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, follow, you know, discovering that for you is then going, well, how do I create that wherever else? I'm yeah, yeah, that's true. So. Um, well, yeah, well, that's, you know, how that relates to identity, right? It's a, this is my thing, this is what I do, therefore I'm here. But it's not, it's it's just a part of things that I look at and things that I focus on. It said something before about how um, it's important for us to, to break away from those older sort of versions uh, or a part of us that has to die off. And 
that it's very it's very challenging when you notice that happening i know for me when i've noticed parts of me that i, I can feel are about to die off like I, and i physically feel this like I'm about to let go of this thing. Like it's it's falling off me. It's ready to go, but I try to hold on to it for longer than what it needs to. And then once once I do, once I get there, and I've learned how to more and more. But it never really gets easier. It's just a point of recognizing when I've I've grown from that bit for something new to happen. Um, you can you can physically feel where those things are happening. I know for me at least, if it's a if it's a case in um in the coaching space where I'm going, I don't want to be coaching in this way or I need to evolve my practice of what I'm doing, I want to learn something new, whatever it may be, um, that process of changing from the style that I've been doing things before or the focus that I've had on things, it's difficult to kind of shut it off and move. Um, and I found when I can feel that, it's, it's, it's important, I think, for our own self-awareness to be able to feel that and then just let it kind of happen I know if there's someone that's listening to this that understands the identity process that you know I've been speaking about um, there'll be parts where you can feel like you're stuck and that you don't know how to move forward and get out of it or that you need to change something but I want to say that you don't it's it's there and if you can trust that your mind will take you where it needs to go and the, the trajectory that you're going to go on it's, it's going to happen regardless um, letting that happen letting it die off is is a very healthy process and it's very it's very freeing but trying to keep something alive when it's no longer living is extremely painful well it's also keeping something alive because you're keeping it alive yeah so it's not just that you have to wait till something's dead the difficulty is that the concept of letting something die off um is people then commonly want to replace it with something Mm. uh but it doesn't need to be replaced yeah so we look at the way that i teach to personality is that personality isn't who you are it's what gets in the way of who you are Mm. Um, and so the more that we identify with our personality the more that we actually don't show up as we are today in this moment Mm. the more we're showing up as past structures in this moment as a less mature version of ourselves and that's a really challenging but continually unfolding experience that's really quite beautiful Mm. and honest and authentic yeah and so it's the kind of thing where I'm not sure if I spoke to you about this recently or not, but like somebody might say, I, you know, I'm that that's a, he's a, they're a spiritual person, or I'm you know, I don't deal with that person, I'm more spiritual. I'm a Libra, I don't identify right. with that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, um, so the difficulty of that is no one is more spiritual than anyone else. Mm. Yeah, we spoke about this. Did I talk about yeah, the lampshades, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and so it's sort of understanding that it's like these lampshades that are, um, the light that has more lampshades seems like it's a dimmer light. Mm. It's just got more structures in front of its authentic, you know, authenticity. Mm. And the more structures that we can allow to die off, to peel away, and these structures were gifted to us, we made meaning of us, so we could interact with our world. This all made sense. It still does make sense. Uh, and it doesn't mean that we lose who we are. It means that we can gain choice of how we choose mm. to show up. And so my strengths that help me be abrasive and confrontational and uh, help me survive as a kid what's what the meaning was when I was young um, it doesn't mean I don't have access to that anymore or mm. I just lose that and I lose my my masculinity it's that my ma- my 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 abrasiveness or my my power is now integrated with compassion mm. and that's a healthy level of masculinity and so it's this kind of thing where this unfolding doesn't mean you're losing yourself it means you're losing the things that are stopping you being you yeah um 
and and it's not a matter of I wanting to change. It's a matter of actually going and seeing these structures of mind that we that we operate with belief, you know, beliefs, uh, beliefs, values, thinking patterns, and not going. Oh, I'm I'm done with it. Get rid of it. It's actually going. I can see where this used to it's, serve it's me. It served you for for a time. Yep. Yeah, and I think that's a very important distinction too. Like, yeah, absolutely. I'll see a lot on your Instagram with people going like you know I've, I've got to cut this out you know it, it's not it's not worth it or that's that's not me anymore this was wrong or whatever it's like no like whatever it is that was part of you was there for a reason yeah and, and that's okay yeah. it's, it's it's formed who you are um you don't have to get rid of it it's more it was it was serving a purpose yeah it's it's the naughty kid in class yeah so you have a classroom and there's a kid playing up right and the more that you ignore him he keeps playing up did I give you this analogy as no, well? No. Right. So the more that you keep fucking ignoring that kid, he keeps playing up and then gets worse and gets worse, right? When you go over and you, over time, intimately learn about this kid and why they do what they do and how they see the world and realize that they're usually a fucking genius in some degree, yeah. then that kid starts to integrate and starts to be themselves yeah. but still interact and integrate with the rest of the classroom. Mm. And so that's the kind of thing when you go, I just want to get rid of that kid. It will, you, they're just going to replace it with the same kid. Yeah. That kid will go, it'll have a different name and a new kid will come in and it'll be the same fucking thing. Mm-hmm. So it's actually learning about the strengths of that kid and that kid in you is the belief that you have that you may not like and it might be people pleasing or it could be um, valuing other people's opinion of you or, or any other variation of that. It could be anything. Um, it's actually seeing how that once served us um, and then integrating it loses its power and so when it shows its face again and it will it, it no longer has that power over you you can see it for what it was not who you are and that's that's the power to to grow and change and let that die off mm. because you're no longer identifying it hating it because the opposite of love isn't hate the opposite of love is indifference yeah, yeah. so uh, and that's a beautiful place to be mm. Mm. I'll never be indifferent about my, my calf identity though I, I think that's the one thing that'll never die off and that I'll always hold a frustration to. Mate, so, so a... I, I am Kyle. I am not the guy with the calves. <laughs> no. I am Kyle. Kyle has calves. Calves are just some things that you do. <laughs> <laughs> right? They're heifers anyway. They're not calves. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> exactly. So it, it, it's, it is interesting, right? Because there are these certain parts, but we're also not our body. Because no. if for whatever reason you had a horrible accident and you lost your legs... You would still be calm. That guy that that guy that doesn't have the calves anymore. Yeah, that's that guy right. that had the calves. Yeah, yeah. yeah he, 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 he lost his herd. I'd sell them for sure. He lost, lost his herd. <laughs> lost his herd. So get me a border collie around my cows. Back. Yeah, that's right. Oh. So, but that's the thing is that we, you're not your body. If you mm. lost part of you, you don't stop being who you are. Mm. In fact, a lot of the time, people find out who they are because of that. And so, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a really powerful thing. And so, the other thing is like, oh, well, I believe this. It's like, yeah, but you haven't always and you mm. won't always. They go, what do you mean? It's just like, well, you fucking learn it at some point. It's just a <laughs> thought that you overvalue. Yeah. And so, the difficulty is that, and, you know, go back to Jungian as an idea, is like, do people have um, thoughts or does the thought have the person? Mm. And if the thoughts, if you just fucking overvalue it, then I. Hundred percent, it's going to be tied into your personality and identity, oh, yeah. and it's going to run you. Mm. And you're going to you, your your perspectives. And this is a conversation we touched on beforehand, um, rather than evolution of identity. You reduce what, how you can see the world and reality, mm. um, and we miss out on so much because of it. Mm, yeah, we become very focused on 
whatever that thought is it almost would you say we almost try to justify it more like we find that thought and it's like we because we because we focus so heavily on it we try to find ways to make it more real if we so when I talk about ego I'm talking about ego structures egoic structures which are healthy it's not a bad thing it's not like oh my god that person's got such a big ego it just Mm. means that they identify with their structures Mm. and that's personality and identity and so forth and so if we're identifying and so in like in type of coaching that I've done it's called the occupant yeah okay right and so the ego is the occupant and if we're identifying with the occupant not the witness the witness is the silent witness that observes yeah. the thoughts it observes it hears right you go anything that anything that we can see hear uh, say uh, think is not you because you're the thing witnessing all of it mm-hmm. and like this can go deep but that's the witness, the observer, the the original face, right? The Brahman. It's all this, but even calling it the witness is giving it a name. Mm-hmm. So as soon as I can see it, say it, hear it, it's no longer it. Yeah. And so the problem is that when we identify with the occupant, um, we now start to see the world as we are, not as it is. Yeah. So yeah. Hmm. Powerful stuff. That could go very deep. Uh, well, yeah. come to a retreat. You are. Well, I am. I yeah. am. I look forward to that. It's going to be very deep. Yeah, you know, it, it's the retreat's beautiful. We're looking at running two one-day ones um, here at this gym or another another gym. Mm. Like we will have one, a day one, a one-day one, two-day, three-day, and four-day retreats. Um, and uh, all the one-day ones will basically be at you know gyms, and gyms can host them. Yeah, um, which should be really cool. Um, and so, yeah, we should be running two of those before the end of the year one for coaches one for um, the pop general pop mm. um, but yeah and look the retreats go into there's no gaps it shows how our mental reality and our physical reality um, come interact mm. Mm. I'm really looking forward to it I think it's going to be extremely interesting yeah yeah it's good yeah. fun I really enjoy it it's, it's, it's a really enjoyable and profound and powerful place um, every time we do it yeah Shall we? I think we shall. Kyle, thank you very much. Thank you for having me um, as always. I, I love chatting with you both today and last time and the time before. Um, and of course, if people want to find out more about you and your delightful... Cards. Humor. Okay. Oh, yeah, wow. and humor too. Okay. Yeah, is humor too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where can they find I, well, it? I just, like, you know... I set I just, you up. I just leaned into it. Now. Yeah, I I've decided to go, you know what? If that is who I am, then my calves are who they think they are and I am who I think my calves think that I am. Yeah, maybe... That's why they're so big because of all the leaning. Because of the ego. Oh right. <laughs> <laughs> it has to balance the head. <laughs> yeah. They can fun. find me at the Physique Coach AU on Instagram. There is plenty of calf pics and more humor. Delightful. There. there is plenty of humor. Guys, if you've enjoyed the episode, then please like, subscribe, share it with a friend uh, or a foe. Uh, grab a copy of my book, Mining Yourself, online or in stores. Uh, if you're interested in learning more about uh, the programs I run, you can find them out at alphathetaflow.com. Uh, you can also find out more about the retreats at funkfuncfitness.com.au or on my socials. Uh, but that's it from me. Big love. Peace and pizza. We'll see you all soon.